Maureen of Chicago. I am Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And, and we, we are burdened with the glorious, glorious podcast. So, Bonnie Tyler has been having a good week, and therefore so have we. Yeah, I, you know, sorry to like, you know, go off on a tangent first thing in the show, but it, it's really, so for one thing, for those of you following along at home, not only was Holding Out for a Hero featured in the episode of Loki that we are going to be discussing this week, it also showed up as the trailer for the new Kevin Smith-helmed Netflix reboot of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and apparently it was also in the trailer for the Guardians of the Galaxy video game that's just been announced. Yes, which, at E3. <laughs> yeah, and I have to admit, for one thing, I'm kind of surprised that there's um that it was just for a video game that they used that in but at the same time if they'd used it in any of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies it wouldn't have been able to show up on Loki so so yeah mixed blessings <laughs> yeah you know the, the the MCU it doesn't really like to repeat any specific element outside of plot except for apparently casting Gemma Chan <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, at the same time, uh, Bonnie Tyler is, is, you know, interestingly enough, she's sort of the glue that holds, you know, the eventual Megan podcasting universe together. <laughs> because, and this is probably going to make a decent number of people listening suddenly be like, oh, no, it's that musical. But um, but uh, Dance of the Vampires slash Tonster Vampira, which is going to be the subject of another podcast that I'm going to be on called A Good Nightmare Comes So Rarely. Our Twitter's at Garlic Gothic. But um, the big the big second act opener in both the European and the American versions of the show is, in fact, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Because one thing that I've learned from doing a lot of research for Good Nightmare is that Jim Steinman, who was the composer, who he actually passed away, I think, last month, maybe a couple months ago. Um, if there was one thing that this man loved to do, it was to write approximately 15 songs over the course of his life and reuse them ad nauseum. And again, I, you know, I do want you guys to get to go listen to my other podcast eventually, <laughs> so I don't need to go into everything there, because there, there's going to be a lot about how much Jim Steinman likes to reuse things, or liked to reuse things in that one. But, Whether they be melodies or themes of villains and horniness. Yeah, you know, for, for those of you at, um, for those of you listening at home who are about our age, and grew up watching, you know, Western animated movies, your earliest exposure to him was very likely the fact that he produced In the Dark of the Night from Anastasia, and boy, can you tell once you know. Or, if you have a mom, he also wrote the song It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion. Which was originally written for a girl group that he had in, like, the early 80s, I think, called Pandora's Box, that only put one album, but actually, if you like holding out for a hero that entire album is him working in that kind of mode which brings me to my favorite discovery this week aside from the fact that apparently the kids have taken to calling the loki mobius ship wow key which is which is like my favorite <laughs> especially just seeing people people phrasing it specifically 
with with no additional punctuation here. You know, because of Owen Wilson. Wow. <laughs> but but my other favorite discovery this week that I actually only would have discovered because you know I only discovered this because of the Loki show because I was thinking about holding out for a hero and I remembered the album that it came from um which I believe is something called like Secret Dreams and Forbidden Fire because you know again this was Jim Steinman we're talking about <laughs> And the opening song on this album by Bonnie Tyler is called Ravishing. And, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty over the top. It's pretty fun. It's, it's in a somewhat more synth poppy mode, which is apparently outside of Tonster Vampira proper. The, the general mode that I tend to like his, uh, his compositions in, you know, oh, not a big meat wave, fan. It's 100% 80s bombastic synth pop. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, you know, I, I like that better than, you know, than, than like the stuff that he wrote for Meatloaf, which is you know if you have a dad, that's that's probably another place you know. <laughs> but um, I I found out completely incidentally that that the instrumental for Ravishing is also like like the entire like you could use it for a backing track if you wanted to do this song in karaoke was also apparently put on a novelty album that the WWE, who at that point was the WWF because they hadn't yet been sued by the World Wildlife Foundation, <laughs> they put out an album in 1985 that was literally just called The Wrestling Album. And I looked into it, and most of The Wrestling Album is actually wrestlers singing uh, novelty songs. But in the middle of it, you have this highly dramatic Jim Steinman instrumental, except for people rhythmically chanting the word Hulk, that is on there apparently as Hulk Hogan's entry music, and it is the instrumental to Ravishing by Bonnie Tyler. You know, I was talking to this with my brother uh, earlier today. <laughs> he is the biggest wrestling fan I know, knows all about trivia, and I played him... Uh, the two clips, and I told him, like, what you told me, and he was so confused as, like, okay, but if this was a song called Ravishing, wouldn't it make more sense if it was the opening theme to Ravishing Rick Rude and not Hollywood Hulk Hogan? <laughs> well, I actually thought that, because apparently Ravishing Rick Rude actually had a track on the wrestling album, but at the same time, and, and this is just, this is how Jim Steinman works. There's also the fact, though, that that, you know, it was only apparently called Ravishing when it had lyrics written for Bonnie Tyler to sing. The instrumental version is literally just released as Hulk Hogan's theme. And which brings us full circle to a Bonnie Tyler song and people chanting Hulk, 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 and we go to one of his <laughs> victims. <laughs> and now we're back on topic. I'm, I'm and so scene. I, I, just, I, I just, I feel like the world needs to know more about <laughs> That that does that does bring us around full circle and back to what what got us on this topic in the first place, which was that uh, this is the first of what I imagine is to be many many plot thickening episodes of uh, Loki, especially considering it's the first one that's been confirmed to uh, have a season two in the works. Yeah, and the structure and pacing so far of the first two episodes has just been really really good. It seems to know exactly. Uh, how it wants to tell its story uh, per episode, because, like, uh, I made a list watching episode two a few days ago, and it's like, okay, so far, 
if the rest of the episode seem to be going in this direction, it's going to be we open with a scene of action, then Loki making a horrifying discovery about himself, reaching a pit of despair, and then we have a deep philosophical discussion between him and Owen Wilson's character, as well as it revealing character and motivation in a very economical package. Then we get the second big action scene, then a Hank Hill whoa level of like, oh my god, this is who we're chasing? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't actually expecting you to make this <laughs> Oh, you should know that I will have any excuse to voice act here. Oh my god, this is this is this is the show, folks. The the Loki <laughs> show is now in full swing, and so are we. <laughs> and of course, the the most you know the part that the whole internet is talking about at this point is of course. The major reveal at the end, which we're going to get to because we have several theories about who that could have actually yes, been. Yes, but to get to what is the question we're specifically talking about, it's probably the most burning question that has yet been brought up in any of the Disney Plus Marvel shows. And that is, of course, ladies and gentlemen, can Loki indeed go fuck himself? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that is that is probably a very valid question, especially because we know that you know, it might depend on the Loki. He he certainly seemed very disturbed by that Hulk Loki that they briefly showed us. But you know what? This is actually such a pressing question, and it's probably the kind of thing that a lot of people are actually listening for right now. So you know what? Let's let's um let's create our own variant timeline here and you know what we'll just go ahead and discuss that ending point first at yeah. which for context we are obviously talking about the reveal that the variant loki is a woman but that could mean a lot of different things and megan of i have come up with at least three possible explanations for who the variant is and for the sake of argument we're just going to call her the variant because we don't know her real name yet. We know she doesn't want to be called Loki. So there could be a few uh, reveals as to what her true nature could be. And some are way more out there than others. But the first theory is the most straightforward that she is Loki from an alternate timeline. So the, uh, the reasons why that could be is first and foremost, Thematically, it just works beautifully of Loki literally having his greatest enemy be himself and the whole, like, <laughs> leaving uh, his mission to find himself. It just works wonders. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you didn't mention, you didn't actually, like, directly reference that, that song from Frozen 2. Oh, that I, too! I know how much you love that scene in Frozen Yes, two. because... The, ep the end of episode two ends with Loki basically doing what Elsa does in the show yourself number. <laughs> uh, but uh, the second possible uh, identity of the variant could be, and I've seen quite a bit of uh, evidence for this, is not Lady Loki at all, but rather Enchantress, or rather the uh, second iteration of Enchantress that appeared in the comics, Sylvie. Yeah, or, or to put it even more likely based on the circumstances, 
we talked a little bit in the last episode about the whole Kid Loki Icol situation, which was to just refresh. An older iteration of Loki made a backup copy of him, himself, essentially, that was put in the body of a raven so that then, at a given time, this innocent vessel known as Kid Loki would basically be... He intended to essentially upload his personality into this child at the cost of, like, overriding his own adorable little personality. It was... It was seriously probably one of the most heartbreaking moments in comics. Just absolutely um, devastating. The ripples are like were felt throughout all continuing uh, Thor and Loki storylines. It, it's it's really intense, and so um, earlier in the comics, Sylvie Lushton was a mortal girl who was basically created again by Loki. This the same iteration that actually made the backup copy pretty much just because it amused him just went ahead and and you know thought it would be funny pretty much to see what would happen if he created a mortal girl who thought that she was an asgardian and she basically modeled herself after amora the enchantress who is another early thor character that they can't really decide if they're a hero or a villain um sylvie actually ended up being um I hear, and I think before I think before Billy Kaplan came out, she was actually romantically involved with him, but I'm not sure. But it would definitely follow, and it would actually streamline a lot of things for this particular um, Loki variant to actually also be a hybrid character with Sylvie Lushton, as well as sort of having been in the kid Loki situation. And this is really backed up by the fact that when Loki happens to see her file, it actually says that her name is Sylvie Laufey's daughter, as well as the fact that a long time ago it was actually announced that they had cast a little girl to play young Sylvie Lushton on the show. And then on top of that, some of the international credits at the end of the episode kind of gave the game away by saying that her one dubbed line was attributed to Sylvie. But, you know, but there's no reason for her to have been given the name Sylvie, considering it's French. And also, you know, for her, um, and for that matter, you know, if you assume that it's analogous to her being a trans woman, and I, I use the term analogous in this case very specifically, just because I don't being cis myself, I don't entirely know what the most accurate term to use for the idea of somebody who can actually physically uh, shapeshift into their preferred presentation. And so if, you, if, if you're talking about a character whose gender fluidity manifests on a supernatural level to the point where it involves actually outwardly presenting as a cis man or a cis woman, depending... I don't actually know what the proper terminology to use for that would be, but I, I, I feel like I'm kind of playing it safe by using analogous to. I'm sure However, sooner rather than later, there's going to be a fantasy YA author who comes up with a word to describe just that. <laughs> and and that said, you know, if, if anybody listening here has, if anybody, you know, if how we're talking about this is is, you know, inaccurate or offensive, you know, 
please let us know. We would like to do better. Yes, please correct us. <laughs> you know, we're 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 two cis bisexual women. There's, you know, we we're doing our best, but you know, sometimes our best isn't good enough. And you are welcome to tell us if it's not. We can learn. <laughs> so another reason uh, that I that leans to. Uh, uh, the variant being Enchantress is actually purely visual because when we see her fight, we don't see her use any knife moves the way Loki would. We just see her. That's a good point. Yeah. We just see her like possess people by using like a flick of her wrist uh, near their forehead, and like green magic comes out of her fingertips. And for anyone who's been uh, keeping track of the MCU, that seems pretty similar to how Wanda chooses to attack people. Only. Her oh, magic yeah, appears as red light, and Agatha's appears as violet light. So now that they've established in WandaVision that a witch's magic manifests in colors that directly tie to who she is, uh, apparently Enchantress would be some sort of green magic. There's also the fact that all of the variant Lokis that we've seen have looked like variant Lokis in some way, except for the one that's clearly supposed to be like old school death metal <laughs> Viking Loki. <laughs> um, you know, something along those lines. So, possibility number three of who the variant could really be is where things get here's, really interesting. Yeah, here here's here's where we're really going out on the limb, but you know, they they seem to like surprising us on this show already. So, um so here, this this occurred to me the other day. Um there's a vague chance that she might actually technically be a Thor who was kind of forced into the Loki role in her timeline. And there's, there's a decent amount to bear that out. I mean, she arrives in a storm. She does, you know, even aside from her coloring, she does still look more like her son's worth. <laughs> and, you know, the first thing that we actually hear her say out of her own mouth is that this isn't about you. And really, wouldn't it make an extra, you know, if you, if, if our Loki is this upset about, you know, being this doomed to lose in every timeline and, and, you know, and having every other way out of his life cut off, even ones where he seems to have been happier, you know, I'm just pointing out that, you know, that Jotun Loki that they showed actually looked pretty calm and at peace with himself, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, so if it's bad to be the, if it's bad enough realizing that, you know, that you're always going to be the villain, imagine how it feels to realize that, oh, every other version of you was this big, glorious hero. But in your timeline, you got, you got railed into being the villain. And on top of that, they're treating it like it's your fault and destroying everything you've ever known. And it also ties into a storyline in the Agent of Asgard arc, uh, where Thor and Loki basically switched personalities, where Loki got to be, like, the noble hero, and Thor was just, like, an obnoxious, petty pain in the ass. And it does also reflect on, you know, the other big sibling duo that gets compared to Thor and Loki a lot in the MCO is Gamora and Nebula. Mm-hmm. And they, and... But the thing is, is that beyond the superficial, you know, when you look at it closely, Nebula actually has more in common with Thor and Gamora has more in common with Loki. It's just that in their own horrible dysfunctional family situation, 
you know, Gamora's Loki-like qualities were valued more than, than Nebula's Thor-like qualities. But, um, but honestly, I feel like the most likely is her being essentially Sylvie Lushnan Enchantress Kid Loki Eichel hybrid. I Eichel was the um, was the backup copy that he made of himself that is now actually essentially the current Loki because comics everybody. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so should we do a recap now, or just like go over like the greatest hits of the episode? We we can definitely we can definitely do that. Um, I mean, for one thing. As many people on the internet have already pointed out, if you enjoyed the architecture of the TVA in this episode, congratulations. You can actually visit this without violating your timeline. It's the it's the Marriott Marquis in Atlanta, Georgia. And the very best part of all is you have the perfect excuse as a Marvel fan to go there because every summer you can book your hotel there for Dragon Con. Where's our Dragon Con money? We need Dragon Con money. <laughs> well, I went to Dragon Con uh, back in 2019, and I can honestly say it's one of the best cons I've ever been to. It's just, like, entirely made by the fans for the fans. Just a delight. Highly recommend a 10 out of 10. Yeah, and considering that Dragon Con is coming back uh, again this summer, I, for one, cannot wait to see all of the dozens if not hundreds of Loki cosplayers although I'm kind of worried about how much elevator traffic's going to be backed up for them trying to do <laughs> photographies of like screen caps <laughs> so um, so one thing that I just to just to get this out of the way just because I think that this is like a cute little detail I really love how how ambiguous it is and how you almost have to pick up by context clues whether somebody is a <laughs> because his, his name is Mobius M. Mobius, and the M probably stands for Mobius. <laughs> but I really love how you kind of have to pick up from context clues uh, whether he's being addressed by his first or last name, because I've noticed that it's actually, you can actually make a pretty good guess of it based on the context. Oh, that's Which is I didn't very realize. interesting. Yeah. You know, last episode we talked about some of the things that uh, the TDA reminded us of. For one thing, I cannot believe that I failed to mention how the entire afterlife is run in Beetlejuice because Beetlejuice is my favorite movie. Um, but also, there's several points where the score in Beetlejuice, when it's not completely Danny Elfmaning out, actually sounds decently like some of the score to this movie. To the point where I, to the point where I actually wonder if outside of the theremin stuff, that there was some influence there. But the other thing that I realized that it, it really strongly reminds me of is actually the movie The Adjustments Bureau, which, in another case of everything coming full circle, it stars Matt Damon, who not only was he the actor Loki in Thor Ragnarok in, in Loki's little community theater production, uh, rewriting the events of the Dark World in his own favor, he also played a version of the mythological Loki who had been recast as an angel in the Kevin Smith movie Dogma. And then on top of that, then, you know, Kevin Smith is the one producing the He-Man reboot that oh, also is holding out for a hero. It's all connected. <laughs> but the other, th and so the Adjustments Bureau is, again, it's, it's also about a large behind the scenes, behind the cosmic scenes organization 
that appears to be directing human actions and forcing them and wiping memories and everything toward an unspecified plan, which made me realize that I was shocked that I didn't put together the main thing that the TVA appear to be based on, which is the Men in Black, which is not to say the film series, but the actual paranormal phenomenon Men in Black that the film series is loosely based on. So, the original Men in Black are figures that recur through a lot of alleged UFO or other cryptid sightings. They show up to talk to witnesses of these kind of events, and tend to either ask questions about what happened with a vaguely threatening tone about what might happen if the witness goes to other authorities about it, or just arrive out of nowhere with a pretext for very invasive personal questions. They tend to be either white or racially ambiguous, and most relevantly, usually appear as though they're trying very hard to come off like government agents, but can't even imagine but can't even manage humanity very well. Eyes, their eyes tend to be too big or too small. They have a very odd way of speaking. One of them allegedly started turning red over the course of a conversation with a couple in their kitchen until he took a large yellow pill and suddenly his complexion went back to normal. Um, <laughs> and the other interesting thing about this in the context of this show is, so I've mostly read about these in, um, in a couple of books by an author named John Keel, who was like a major like ufologist and stuff. And honestly, a lot of his stuff I take with a grain of salt because he, he clearly comes into this as a true believer in all of this stuff. And I just think it's funny in the light of this show that one of the, um, one of the major precedents to the point where John Keel actually thinks it's the same, it's honestly just a the, a, manif a different manifestation of the same kinds of beings is trickster gods. Oh. He actually he actually seems to think that you know most divine uh, interventions in human life are actually he calls them ultra terrestrials, although he never quite explains what he thinks those are, other than that they're existing on some kind of level that humans can't really perceive. But they're probably not aliens either. So, pop. I would. <laughs> When you say that, I would think of like, especially the word the word choice, ultra terrestrials. That sounds a bit like uh, the fa the fair folk of uh, a lot of Celtic mythology. You know, he, he really seems to kind of associate this with pretty much everything. I mean, you know, even even a lot of aspects of Christianity. You know, he thinks of um, you know Saul's conversion on the road to Tarsus. He points out a lot of ways that that. Um, that that reflects like you know people claiming to have had ufo contact and again i you know this isn't buzzfeed unsolved no matter how much of a similar <laughs> dynamic we seem to already be developing so going back to mobius after episode one i thought i'd spend the whole series theorizing about uh what's going to happen to loki but after this one i just had all these ideas of flooding in my brain of like I know for a fact there's vital background information on Mobius we are not yet privy to. And I feel like, like, come episode five or so, we're going to get a huge reveal about his character that's somehow directly tied to Loki. And I wouldn't go so as, I wouldn't go so far as to assume that he's a future timeline Loki in disguise who's guiding himself somehow. But at the same time, nothing that's too far from that. Just because, like, the writers know exactly what they're doing. They know these characters inside out. And I found it so interesting, like, the choice of words when he tells Loki he sees him 
as a scared little boy shivering in the cold and you kind of feel sorry for that ice runt. And like only Loki, Laufey, or Odin would understand the meaning of that sentence. And or it might have, <laughs> although at the same time, it could also just be a way of demonstrating just how you know emotionally in tune with each other these two already are. True. And also, and the well, and also the thing is, is that you know he's Mobius has access to Loki's entire biography and everything. He knows everything that's ever happened to him. If anything, I feel like that might have been an appeal to Loki's emotions. I, I, I personally. I, well, I'm I just going to assume every character in this show is an alternate timeline Loki until proven otherwise. Except for the fact that, that B-15 feels almost like an alternate universe equivalent of how I wrote myself insert. <laughs> just in terms of how she, you know, she's, she's just, you know, this, this big hourglass shaped lady who just, you know, can't keep, can't stop herself from looking at him and just being like, by the way, I hate you. Don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> um, although that actually is related to a theory I saw about the TVA in general on um, on Twitter, so I can't take credit for this, but the idea that everybody there, possibly except for, like, Renslayer or something, because uh, she clearly knows more than she's letting on, but then again, you know, her comic counterpart was... Kang the Conqueror's love interest but you know but all of the others somebody theorized that they are all brainwashed variants that are being used for yeah, something yeah cause like in our last episode I thought I was so certain that these were like celestial beings who had no idea what the human experience was like but now I think like if anything the opposite could be true of just like well going back to episode one keep it in mind we never got to find out exactly what it means to be reset. It was just Loki assuming that, that was a euphemism for being wiped from existence. But just the word reset sounds more like it could very much make sense that they would be brainwashed puppets of the agency. I mean, we do know now that apparently Mobius's secret dream in life is to get to ride a jet ski. But there are some uh, theories I've read that uh, there are a lot of clues hinting at uh, if the theory is right that he was like, a, has reset and he was just an ordinary human being, that he was from sometime in the 90s, hence why he loves 90s brands of soda that only existed in that decade. And he calls like the early 90s the peak of like human civilization. And uh, it might be that one of his happiest memories as a regular human was riding on a jet ski and reading that. Well, magazine. yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's just you know, and of course, and also you know, I feel like it would be just like them to make you know the the gentle incongruity of you know, wow, this guy really likes jet skis, into something actually really painful. Yeah, so basically, in a way, if they're going to go down that uh, rabbit hole, he's basically like a male version of Carol Danvers, don't you think? Oh, yeah, that, you know, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a connection that I'd made, but yeah, that, yeah, that, that's just making me kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, you know, the darkest possible 
explanation for this is that, I mean, timeline-wise, this wouldn't really check out if he's from the early 90s. But, I mean, the darkest possible iteration they could go of for this is that, you know, even though we know that the that the Battle of New York didn't have that many casualties, you know, considering they, they exist outside of time, you know, it's entirely possible that, you know, he'd lost family there or something. Oh. Yeah, which would then and lead that to... Would, if... That would definitely be, like, a major complicating factor, especially considering that, you know, they have started to really like but each other. then maybe what if he wanted to have his entire old life erased because he didn't want to, like, remember all that pain? <laughs> God, something like that. And and we're uh, running fanfic. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, and I and the thing is, is that I know that the, um, that the comic equivalent of uh, Mobius, you know, he really was just, you know, some kind of, I guess to borrow the term, you know, some kind of ultra-terrestrial <laughs> bureaucrat. Um, you know, down to the, I, you know, I don't think, I don't know if we mentioned this in the last episode, but, um, you know, a Mobius strip is, is when you take a piece of paper or something and you twist it and you join the ends in a way so that not only does it create a continuous loop, it creates a continuous surface. So it has no definitive ending or beginning and just goes on forever. Yeah, yeah. And, and apparently the character was originally conceived of as sort of almost like, you know, some kind of, you know, Inspector Javert from outside of time, which is clearly not what he's like in this. You know, this is clearly a, essentially a different character. Um, for for context here, it's worth remembering that the TVA in the comics was actually, they were originally created as uh, Fantastic Four antagonists because they were mad that the Fantastic Four kept messing with the timeline. And that if we are, in fact, going toward some kind of... Um, some kind of, you know, Council of Loki's situation that Maureen keeps wanting to compare to the Council of Ricks on uh, Rick and Morty. I should point out that the, the Council of Ricks was itself um, was itself based on the Council of Reeds, which is basically every version of Reed Richards, except for the one that we know, has basically formed like some kind of transdimensional UN, except it's all Reed Richardses. <laughs> and most of them are dicks. Like, 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 like more dickish than regular Reed Richards tends to be like, like intentionally dickish, not just kind of oblivious. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was taken directly as uh, inspiration for the Adult Swim sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if they are going someplace there, it's almost like we've just, you know, I guess to use the, to use a, a very useful expression here. It's just kind of Mobius looped back, hey. <laughs> back to back to Marvel, but it's you know it's twisted in the middle, so now it's it's actually a different character. In the last episode, we um, you know Maureen kind of gently poked fun at the the early Tumblr assertions that you know that Loki is just like the Christmas tree in a Charlie Brown Christmas, and all he needs <laughs> is a little love, and um, you know, and then. And, and that seemed absolutely ludicrous at the time, you know, and I was even just being like, guys, guys, he has a lot of baggage that he needs to work on. You know, stop making excuses. You know, oh, my God, I sounded like Renslinger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, um, but you know, so in, in light of that, you know, it's just hilarious to realize that all it took was friendship with just some guy with a mustache to take him from the, you know, the seething, greasy-haired paranoid mess he is in Avengers 2012 to, you know, 
this motion blurred ball of fluff bopping around like you know like the traumatic memories <laughs> on constant replay in his head have been replaced by the brogy quest music <laughs> because you know and that actually that actually reminds me though that also at the same time you know toward the end of this episode you know he insists that that's all a ruse but okay so assuming that it is they do something really interesting by having him bring that up after he's already made a very convincing point that, you know, that maybe the TVA, like, shouldn't exist. <sighs> you know, the fact that he brought it to its logical conclusion that it's not just that, it's not just that, you know, the villains are being forced to do what they do by the TVA kind of, you know, railroading the timeline but also technically so are the heroes so their actions are just as meaningless and just as morally irrelevant to them yeah i was uh thinking of making uh an illustration because unfortunately this being a purely audio medium i can't really show it on uh our spotify website or anything like that but for our twitter page i am going to post an illustration for this uh, that basically says the difference between episode one and episode two is that one meme uh, of the two different aspects of nihilism, of the first one being Loki with his head in his hands saying nothing in life matters, and the second one being Loki with sunglasses and a vaporwave background saying nothing in life matters! <laughs> there's There's an 80s remix, there's like this 80s themed remix of um numb by lincoln park that is an app that is just a fantastic demonstration of like the entire vibe of that second half of the illustration when it goes up we'll probably link it at some point yes every like every month or so i re-listen to that and think this song can't possibly be as good as i remember it and then after it ends i put on clown shoes because it showed me <laughs> that kind of episode <laughs> um, oh so a couple of um a couple of other like fairly uh fairly disconnected thoughts that i had are one i've been studying latin on duolingo that was very good latin and uh he you know he did a good job at you know making it sound like spoken latin i apologize if there's any background noises right now i am trying very hard to keep one of my cats from sitting on my keyboard <laughs> Um, you know, so I, I thought that, and also, you know, just the fact that Loki, who is a Norse god, sort of, being able to just, you know, bust out the Latin like that was pretty entertaining. Although, um, I was horrifying Maureen earlier by pointing out that that's not, that's not actually how most of the people who died in Pompeii died. And if no, anything, that what seems like was, one of the better timelines of Pompeii if it had to happen. <laughs> Yeah, for lack of a better description, most of the victims in real life were essentially microwaved by what's called a pyroclastic flow, descending down from the descending down from the slopes of Vesuvius. They didn't actually have a chance to be killed by the lava to begin with, because they were hit by such intense heat that it basically killed them in a fraction of a second. It, it vaporized their internal organs and their blood and apparently one guy's brain was actually vitrified which means turned into glass 
So, on to the subject <laughs> of Lady Loki. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, a lot, the big draw of the reveal is, of course, getting fans to assume that this is uh, Loki taken on a female form. But, of course, for those who have read the comics, this is far from the first time such a thing has been done to what uh, the fans affectionately call uh, her Lady Loki. Although, Megan and I were having a conversation earlier about how... What the fans tend to, like, do fan art of, and especially of with cosplayers, is they tend to, like, overlook a lot of the really, really creepy origins of uh, how she came to be. The entity that in the comics is usually referred to as Lady Loki is, to be honest, not really a Lady Loki. And that's because it is actually a still male identifying, and that's a very important part because the character was not yet gender fluid, and we'll get to that in a little bit. It So, in one of the comics iterations of Ragnarok, which in Marvel is supposed to be, a, it's a cyclical event. Basically, all of Asgard was destroyed, Thor was the only one left, and he ended up going on a bit of a quest to basically find the new incarnations of his friends and his family to set the whole thing up again. And along the way, he found what ended up being, um, you know, he thought it was uh, Sif, who is actually one of his love interests in the comics. And it was not Sif. It was Sif's body, but it was not Sif in it. There had been a little bit of a cosmic mix-up. Loki was quite literally in Sif's body. And he immediately decided that he could use this and actually trapped Sif's soul in the body of a dying elderly woman who was um, in a nursing home. And so it's not actually... So, so when you see this, this early iteration of Lady Loki, for one thing, not actually Loki's body. And furthermore, it's not even a case of Loki, like... Uh, it's not even a case of him, like, wearing a Sif's body like I would wear, like, a sequin evening gown. It's not even like, oh, I could get used to this. I mean, for lack of a better comparison, it's really closer to uh, the movie The Hot Chick, where neither party seems very impressed at their predicament. <laughs> so the thing is, is that when we say this, we're really not trying to be exclusionary or to, or to you know... It, it's one of those things where it's almost like you don't want to give Marvel too much credit here because this was not the first manifestation of Loki being gender fluid. It, this was not actually a manifestation of, of Loki being gender fluid. It was never all. meant to be taken that way. It was never meant to be have any. It was really never meant to have be any commentary, positive or negative, of uh, playing with gender roles. It simply was a case of body swapping with a touch of body horror. One of the biggest indications, despite the fact that this version of Loki is, was, of course, frequently drawn for fan service, is, well, for one thing, they went out of their way to make Loki's face as unsettling as possible. And I should add, not in a transphobic way, but in, in a... Uncanny you know, valley makeup and styling. Yeah, and then on top of that, there was also the fact that it was made very clear that Loki was not used to having boobs. This was never used for commentary, but it is very obvious that, you know, Sif being a comic book woman, 
especially in that era, tended to be depicted as being very well endowed. And as herself, they were also usually very well supported. With Loki, they were barely covered and just hanging there. And and it wasn't like the natural, it wasn't like, like, it wasn't, you know, the natural perkiness kind of hanging. That actually only showed up later on when they actually did introduce a Lady Loki from another timeline who actually is just presumably the same gender fluid Loki as usual, but has settled down into presenting more femininely by default, pretty much along the same ways as how, you know, at this point, now that we have an actual gender fluid incarnation of Loki, he still is in boy mode a decent amount of the time. And, you know, and when he's in boy mode using he, him pronouns in girl mode using she, her pronouns. Yeah. Um, There's a section agent of Asgard that I just absolutely love, uh, where, Loki uh, puts on a shirt, and in the first panel, he's male, but uh, there's the in-between, where his head is completely covered with the shirt he's putting on, and then the third panel, uh, when he puts the shirt over, yeah, it's it's she, and I thought that is just the most perfect visual explanation of Loki's gender fluidity I've ever seen, and I just really wish that they could even come close to appro- to approaching something like that in the show since it's now uh, technically canon in the MCU. Yeah, they or yeah, they did act you know, I I want to point out that after the whole, you know, sorry to, to burst your bubble, like that is referring specifically to the original incarnation of Lady Loki. Also, I should point out that the um that the lady there was actually intended to be a title, not oh, that's a female Loki. (laughs) It's, you know, it's Lady... I I think it might have actually been originally intended as, you know, a grotesque mashup between Loki and the fact that Sif is often referred to as Lady Sif. Yeah, yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. So it's not... Yeah. So it's not so much gendered Lady as it is tipping my hat, my lady. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting that, you know, now that... now that God of Stories Loki, the, um, who... After um, after the backup copy, kind of, you know, was it too much of a risk of reverting? Loki basically reincarnated again as, as you know, as the now gender-fluid god of stories, who is also the goddess of stories sometimes. Um, at one point, Odin actually referred to Loki very, like, genuinely very lovingly um, after referring to Thor and uh, Angela as his son and his daughter, referred to Loki very fondly as, and my child who is both. Aww. As of this recording, it's still Pride Month, and we thought we'd take this episode to discuss the complicated history of Loki and queerness, and how it's gotten interpreted and tangled throughout the decades. So going back to, all the way to uh, the original Norse myths, there's plenty of textual evidence to show that Loki was uh, bisexual, and it would indeed only make sense for him to be gender fluid, given that uh, he was prone to shape shifting. He uh, like the whole point of Loki was you could never put him in a box, and like he always represented what society deemed as taboo or unacceptable. So it really so if you could if like if you are pagan out there and you see him as gender fluid then yes I think that's only makes sense. Oh yeah no if anything it feels almost like giving it almost feels like giving this figure his proper due because you know back 
I, I feel almost like like I'm just like wading into boiling water <laughs> right now. Um, so when we say that it's a complicated relationship, for one thing, you know, as Maureen pointed out, there's plenty of evidence in the original Norse myths that that iteration of Loki, who is technically not all that closely related to Marvel's, except as like a prototype figure, there's plenty of evidence that he's bisexual as well as gender fluid. However, this often comes up in the context of other characters thinking it's demeaning for Loki to have been not only in the shape of a cis woman, but also to be bottoming for a man by default. This comes up a lot, and there's actually a couple of points where he actually uses the same accusations against other people. And on top of that, then there comes the fact that when they have Loki shape-shifting to do this, it incidentally means that all of the sex he's having is still male-female. So that's that's the kind of thing when we say that this is going, that, you know, this has always been a very complicated relationship, and that it's shaped by a lot of external factors, and, you know, I feel like both the, the modern gender-fluid comic Loki that we have now and the, you know, in the Norse paganism reconstructions of Loki are really the only times that this has been taken as a positive for pretty much any iteration of yeah, this figure. Yeah, it's like, it's, it took about four or three thousand years, but it just seems very refreshing to have Loki's status as a bicon fully restored. And to be fair, the only records that we actually have of most Norse mythology that can be firmly attested are filtered through either a heavy Christian or Muslim bias, specifically mm. Christian for most of it. The, um, the handful of Muslim reports that we have of it pretty much just report what they heard. But the biggest source that we have, the two Eddas were written down by a literal monk. So, you know, Bear yes. that in mind as you like. <laughs> and it certainly explains the sudden shift in Loki's behavior to being chaotic neutral to being chaotic evil. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, as much as I've qualified this by saying that, you know, the representation that we have in the actual sources is honestly very negative where the, the gender and shape-shifting stuff is concerned. However, we don't actually know that 100% for sure. Because we do know that we do know that they had a different approach to uh, gender than a lot of the West did at the time, you know. But on the other hand, they also considered, you know, being a man who bottomed for another man to be a status that deserved you actually being run out of town on pain of death. So you know, it swings and roundabouts. Yeah. So what? Uh... What interested me a lot about uh, going through uh, Loki's relation to uh, his sexuality and gender presentation in the comics from the 60s onward is uh, I always, I, after watching the first Thor movie, I simply assumed that Loki was always meant to be uh, slightly queer-coded or like slightly effeminate. And he was for like certain issues, but that wasn't always a constant, especially in like around the seventies where he was like almost as buff as Thor was. If any, so a good way of thinking about it is that honestly, to an even larger extent than a lot of, than, than a lot of, uh, comic book heroes, a lot of, 
Thor's rogues gallery other than, you know, the, the almost requisite, you know, temptresses are various models of bad masculinity to contrast Thor's good masculinity. But that but there that meant that there was a very interesting period from like the seventies and the eighties where the specific type of bad masculinity that Loki presented relative to Thor was actually very different than the one that you could arguably say that he presented in the MCU before everybody was like, no, but we love this. Um, and part of that is because when the dark, when the dark elf Malekith the Accursed was introduced into the comics, he definitely took over the, the, you know, the, the effeminate quote-unquote bad masculinity opposite Thor you know he he very much shows a lot of influence from uh the west becoming aware of uh of you know anime character designs and stuff at that point I yeah he wasn't quite full-on Bishonen but he was definitely meant to be uh more svelte, I guess. More a uh, slender figure, uh, very long hair, and more like thin, angular features. So much uh, as to how we would uh, associate Loki would have been in the earlier comics run. Yeah, although the thing is, is that you know, sixties Loki. The thing is, is that even when he was, you know, I I would almost go so far as to say that he was kind of just, you know insufficiently masculine coded more than he was feminine coded so he was basically more of a beta slash uh <laughs> incel to thor's chad god you know what honestly that's about right and then <laughs> but then came but then came the 70s where suddenly where suddenly you had this where suddenly you had loki who was suddenly representing you know bad masculinity relative to Thor being, you know, suddenly, you know, Thor became a representative of, you know, boyish, athletic, you know, kind of lovable, you know, kind of, you know, almost more presaging the kind of figure that he ended up becoming in the MCU because, you know, the, the whole consummate himbo thing. The lovable jock uh, archetype. Yeah, the lovable jock type. Yeah, yeah. And then around the same time, you started to have... A Loki, you started to have Loki, who was suddenly drawn as very tall, very square-jawed, and if anything, with a much more um, viscerally rendered physiology than Thor had. Like, you know, when you see his hands, they're huge, and they're kind of corded, and you really get a sense that, you know, he could probably, you know, grab somebody by the throat and break their neck if he wanted to just by squeezing hard enough. Like, there's a very sense of just, you know, overpowering cruelty, almost, to how to how he's presented in this. You know, and this is also a version of, uh, of Loki that is, you know, depicted as being very cruel toward women. And not, and not even in just the, the, you know, the particularly over-the-top gross way, like, that happens with, like, you know, the Sif's body Lady Loki situation. But, you know, just kind of straight up as a wife beater you know he he abuses his girlfriend Lorelai pretty physically you know so he clearly is meant to to be that particular type of bad masculinity at that point and then I guess he just kind of slowly crossed out of that 
and back into just, you know, creepy withered sorcerer territory until the movie came out in 2011 and suddenly we had an entire other... <laughs> so We had this in- entire other situation on our hands that has persisted and at this point flowed back into the comics. Yes. So I was, uh, a few minutes ago, I was looking on uh, actors who auditioned for Loki for the 2011 film and I already knew that uh, Josh Hartnett was uh, one of the top runnings and I'm just imagining like speaking of TVA pruned timelines that would have been a sight to see. Like that would have been like, I really I would have been very interested to see like how they styled him because I I do not see him pulling off goth Disney prints at all. <laughs> that that really does that actually emphasizes that this was a case where it wasn't that they rewrote the character to suit who they ended up casting though. Mm-hmm. That they clearly had a particular type that they were already looking for that you know they wanted they wanted this character to, you know, convincingly be Thor's brother. <laughs> Yes, but not only that, even if he is adopted, what really knocked me for a loop was there is another actor uh, who was auditioned and clearly it turned out just fine in his favor. uh, But Charlie Cox was also in the running for Loki. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of hilarious how for uh, when uh, Charlie Cox and Tom Hiddleston did Betrayal on Broadway, uh, for their Halloween show, they switched costumes of their characters. So when they met uh, the fans outside the end of the show, on their Halloween show, uh, Charlie uh, Tom Hiddleston was dressed up as Daredevil, and Charlie was dressed up as Loki. Well, and I the thing is, I don't know the actress's name, but incidentally... Uh, Zoe let's... Ashton, I think? Well... Okay, so apparently she's been cast as the villain in the upcoming Captain Marvel movie, and she was incidentally dressed as Carol Danvers to go along with them. (laughs) Um, Well, and I also know that when they were thinking of doing a Thor movie in the 90s that wasn't going to be related to what ended up becoming the MCU, that, you know, they actually had considered Jim Carrey to play Loki, which, considering certain comic iterations of Loki, I can very much see, to the point where, you know, before, before, you know, like, almost immediately before we learned that this is actually going to be, you know, too many Lokis, the series, I actually did an entire thread of, like, casting various Loki eras. Like, for example, my, uh, my my idea for a for a shape shifted you know girl mode gender fluid Loki is actually Rooney Mara. A lot of fans have made photo edits of Rooney Mara like in Loki getup, so I can't even blame you for that. They do have Rooney very Mara out of out structures. of all of the likely candidates that people choose for that Rooney Mara definitely looks the most like him. Like I've seen a lot of um, I've seen a lot of Ava Green um, and Katie McGrath edits as well, but oh, yeah. the thing is, is that neither of them actually look like Tom Hiddleston. Rooney Mara looks like Tom Hiddleston. Tom no, Hiddleston she could like easily be his sibling. Like, like you know, I, I feel like it's actually kind of a loss that that you know there was never a production of Twelfth Night when they were both young enough to play Viola and Sebastian. Oh man, because <laughs> because imagine you know take, being able to take advantage of that. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and you can actually look up the, I mean, for one thing, I actually cast Christopher Walken as, um, I'm pretty sure the same iteration of, um, or close to the same iteration that we're getting that I think 
Richard E. Grant is actually playing. <laughs> well, on my side of the stratosphere, uh, Thor has announced his presence because there's some thunder outside. So I think we should wrap this up for the sake of my dog getting her special little Thor-approved thunder shirt on. <laughs> oh no, well... <laughs> I guess I'll tie this off just by mentioning that I've started a list of things that I would really like to have happen in this show, but they probably won't, to kind of contrast Maureen's things that will probably happen. And this is going to be an ongoing list, but so far what I have is more Bonnie Tyler, because obviously. Uh, two, I want there to be a sequence set to Seven Seas of Rye by Queen. If you happen to look up the lyrics, it's very appropriate. I want Loki to discover, enjoy, and develop a lust for life evoking passion for coffee. Like the kind of thing where you can actually imagine there being a, a fan edit set to that song. And most importantly, I want there to be a take on me music video sequence. And if there isn't, then I just have to manifest that because I am an animation major, folks. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, you've heard it here. And you know what? Worst case, you just get us to write for season two. We're waiting. Yep, we're waiting. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the whole reason I even agreed to do A Good Nightmare Comes So Rarely was, you know, it's it's just one big advertisement for me to get to write for the Loki show, which I keep calling it that, and it keeps I keep wanting to call it, you know, Loki Presents the Loki Show Starring Loki. <laughs> uh... But with that in mind, we will check in next week, at which point we will probably find out that, you know... That was a scroll or something, and we were wrong about everything. Yes, it's entirely possible that it could have just been... Oh, God. Wouldn't it be hilarious if, like, the reveal of the variant uh, was Mephisto this whole time, and that was like, no, we were too early in calling into WandaVision. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was there have been a lot of people online commenting that they think that um, the little boy in the church pointing to the devil in the stained glass window is supposed to be Mephisto foreshadowing. But you know what? Lokis have horns. No, that it was confirmed by the showrunner that the uh, reference to the devil was simply meant to uh, reference Loki simply because okay. he has horns and he was a prince who fell from the heavens. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> Well, anyway, we will uh, we will talk to you next week. And again, honestly, if there is any terminology that we've used in this episode that you would like to correct us on, like, please do. Please let us know. You know, just DM us on on the podcast account, and we will we will try to do better if we need to do better. Till then, this is Morning Megan signing off, and we are still burdened with glorious podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night.